Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. We're in installment number two of a series entitled, Drop Your Rocks. And I love the subtitle, pretty powerful, discovering the grace of God is not the affirmation of sin, but the grace of God is actually the transformation from sin. How many know that in this life, balance is important? It's one thing that we have very much so here at Joy Church. Me and Rhett know this. We're all about balance. 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible tells you and I we need to rightly divide or balance out the Word of God. Before I was a pastor, and I've been a pastor now for lots and lots of years, but before I was a pastor, I would do a lot of travel and speaking at different churches. It was amazing that I would go from church to church, and normally about uh, the same church about once a year. And so by seeing a church once a year, it'd be amazing. I'd, I'd come one year, they'd be way over here in their pendulum. They'd had swung way over here. And then the next year I'd come, they had swung way over here to the other side of the pendulum. I see a lot of that in the body of Christ, a whole lot of imbalance and a whole lot of knee-jerking and a whole lot of uh, reacting one side or the other. Here at Joy, we try to keep the wobble out of that pendulum. We try to keep you right in the middle, right in the middle of balance. I mean, no balance is important. I can tell you that for a fact. I, 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 38 years ago, uh, I was an alcoholic checking IDs at a bar. I was not a, you wouldn't have wanted, you would not have wanted to met me then, I can tell you right now. Uh, I thank God for Jesus, and I understand a life out of balance. I, I remember uh, my first year in college, uh, I, I went to Ohio University, and I had picked up a, a, a sport just kind of on the side uh, they had at the university. It was kind of on the, on the club level, and it was called broom hockey. You, you know, anybody know what broom hockey is? not quite hockey, but you take a broom and you, you know, cut off the bristles off of the, you, you know, I got one guy, you know, he's like, I, I, he's, he's clearly done this before. You cut the bristles off. Uh, up north, you know, everything's on ice, so you got to figure out things to do on ice. And so you cut the bristles off. And it becomes very hard, and you basically then play hockey on an ice rink, but in your tennis shoes, not in skates. And so it's kind of really hockey for dorks. <laughs> you understand? That was me. So I took up broom hockey. And at the time, again, I did not, not know Jesus at all, and I was a mess. I just had the worst temper that you can imagine. And I remember we were coming down to this end, and one of the opponents on the ice rink took a swing at my best friend on the team and with his broom, you know, with the hardened broom, and missed him. And my friend had no idea because he was, he was mad. He took a swing at him, and my friend had no idea because he didn't see it, but I saw it. 
And that was not good at the, at the time when I didn't know the Lord. So I, we were, and then the opponent ran down the other end of the, of the rink, and I chased him because I saw it. And as soon as we got down the other end of the rink, we both threw down, and I started a fight with this guy because he tried to hit my friend. Well, I don't know if you've ever tried to fight on the ice in tennis shoes. I don't care how good a fighter you are, it is not going to be a successful adventure because of the imbalance. I mean, I, I tried so hard. Anytime I tried to swing, I would slip. Anytime he tried to swing, he would slip. And it was really embarrassing. It was like two more dorks fighting one another. And so finally we found ourselves, you know, we were sprawled. He, he tried to grab my legs and and I used to wrestle a little bit when I was in high school inside, had him in a body lock. But anytime we tried to do anything at all of measure, again, we'd fall down. It was really, really embarrassing. It's really an embarrassing fight. And so finally, I got so mad because my temper was just beyond whacked out. It was so imbalanced. I got so angry. I literally reached down with my mouth and bit him through his sweatshirt. I know. To this day, that guy has rabies. <laughs> you should have seen. Remember, I didn't know Jesus, so don't look at me that way. I have, I have so many guests here going, why am I here? I'm a little concerned with being here. I warned somebody. I met a whole bunch of guests, and I told you, I said, the pastor here is a little suspect. I warned you guests, but you stayed. And now the doors are locked. <laughs> This is your fault. And so I literally, the guy screamed because I bit through all the way through. He had two sweatshirts on. I bit all the way through two sweatshirts. And he literally screamed, he bit me. That dude bit me. And, and I was like, <laughs> To this day, I have a sudden urge every time I get around a fire hydrant. How many know that balance is important? I go a long way with my stories just to keep you uh, people interested. You understand that? Balance is really key. Let's take a look at this. Let's take a look at our Bible verses that really show us balance. Proverbs chapter 3, 3 and 4. I love these verses. Some of my favorite verses in Proverbs. This will help us keep balance in this last day. Check it out. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. In other words, allow them to direct you. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other words, allow them to be in you. And notice here, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Could anybody in the house use a little bit of favor in the eyes of God and a little bit of favor in the eyes of mankind? I know I could. The Bible tells us that the biblical balance, the way to allow that to happen is through mercy and truth. Everybody say mercy and truth. Now, that's our biblical balance. It's also said in the Bible, grace and truth. That's the balance that in the last days I'm watching a lot of people swing over here in their pendulum to one side or the other. Let's talk about it. Let me give you two life points that really encapsulate this balance. It's going to help us out. Life point number one, all truth, and you will become religious. All grace, and you will become relativistic. And boy, is that true. Listen to me very closely. All truth, and you become religious. How many of the Pharisees in the Bible knew the Bible? 
But they were some of the most religious, I mean, they were responsible for crucifying Jesus. And how many know when your religiosity disqualifies the Messiah, how many know that you don't really understand the Scriptures? No question about it. And in the same vein, all grace, you become relativistic. There's a real phrase right now in the culture, well, that's just my truth. That's my truth. You know, this is, all, this is my truth. This is my... And listen, I, I get it, but I still want you to understand the Bible is still the truth. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the truth, the way, not a way, not a truth, and the life. So I want you to know you can have your truth, but Jesus is still the truth, and I don't know about you, but if he is the truth, I want to submit my truth to his truth. That's, 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 worth, that's worth better than a golf clap that I just got right there. Look at the second life point that really balances things out. Truth without grace is mean. I know a lot of mean Christians. Grace without truth, however, is meaningless. So can you see the biblical balance that we must adhere to and not swing in our pendulum and get outside of balance? Now, last time, we began to talk about 16, John, 16 guarantees of grace and truth. Who does that? What kind of pastor has 16 points? Only a long-winded pastor that carries things out into series. So we'll review very quickly. We got through seven last time. We'll go through those quickly because we have so many guests here. We want you tracking with us. And how many know we learn by repetition? How many know we learn by repetition? How many know we, you're getting it now? We learn by repetition. So let's review quickly. We'll get into new territory. This is going to make you think today. I'm going to challenge some cultural ideas today. And I'm telling you, this will help you stay balanced. Let's review. Number one, check it out. The grace of God is not the power of God to overlook sin. The grace of God is the power of God to overcome sin. And boy, am I glad about that. When you come here, you're not going to, and I promise you, you're not going to be judged. You're, you're just not. You're going to be helped. I'm not going to judge you. Why would I judge you? I was an alcoholic checking IDs at a bar 38 years ago. We premised all of this on John chapter 8, 1 through 11. You remember that uh, last weekend, that whole story uh, where the woman was caught in, in adultery? Jesus was teaching in the middle of the temple in early in the morning, and they brought her in and threw her down in the midst. And you remember the whole story? You know, all of these people were ready to throw rocks at her. And that's where we got the title of the message, Drop Your Rocks. And then Jesus wrote some things in the sand, and they all left. And when they all left, remember what Jesus said? Woman, where are your accusers? And then he said, neither do I condemn you. And then watch this last phrase, go and sin no more. So I love the balance. There's our Jesus. Remember John chapter 1, 16 and 17, the Bible says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 8, 1 through 11 is the greatest example of the balance of grace and truth. He gave that woman grace. Uh, woman, I don't condemn you. Where are your accusers? But then he also gave her truth. Now, go and sin no more. And that's why I want you to understand that the grace of God is not the power of God to overlook sin. The grace of God is the power of God to overcome sin. Listen to me. I, I, I'm so thankful that God didn't leave me the way that I was. Now I've overcome the alcohol. I've overcome the temper. I've overcome biting people. Aren't you glad? 
<laughs> Aren't you, I've overcome so many addictions before I knew the Lord. So when you come here, we decided to drop our rocks. We don't want to judge you. We want to help you. But we don't want to just overlook the sin. We want to help you overcome the sin because the sin is what's keeping us in bondage. Second thing that we begin to talk to you about, and this is the subtitle, the grace of God is not the affirmation of sin, but the transformation from sin. Remember Romans 12, 2, where the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind. That word uh, conformed, don't be conformed to this world, the Greek word cosmos, don't be conformed to the world system or the culture, but be transformed, metamorpho, meta, change, morpho, shapes. Change shapes by renewing your mind of the Word of God. Listen to me closely. If you'll renew your mind of the Word of God over time, you won't even recognize yourself. I can promise you, if I ever went back to a reunion at my high school, which I don't ever plan on because of, you know, all the warrants. <laughs> What's the time statute on those babies is I need to know. Uh, I, I, they would be freaked out. You're, you're, I mean, are you kidding? In high school, I was voted most likely to bite somebody. <laughs> oh, my goodness, what a holy crowd we have on Sunday. If I, re, if I realized that you guys were this holy, I wouldn't have even made the biting thing. I, wouldn't have told, I would have told another story. It's not the affirmation of sin. It's the transformation from sin. Third thing that we talked to you about from the safe place of love and acceptance. Jesus challenges us with why would you make such a low decision when you have such a high calling? That's what he did with a woman caught in adultery. He provided a place of love and acceptance for her. That's what we try to do here in this church. And from that place, he connected with her first and corrected her second. From that place, he challenged her, woman, why would you make such a low decision when you have such a high calling? You can have better, you can do better, there's more for you in God than what you're presently living. Fourth thing that we talked about is God loves you just the way you are, but God loves you too much to leave you the way you are. Aren't you glad about that? He loves us all just the way we are, with no conditions. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. I'm so glad he didn't leave me in my alcoholism. I'm so glad he didn't leave me in my addictions. I'm so glad he didn't leave me in all of the things that I had messed up in my life because oh, those were the things that were killing me. I'm so glad now because now I have whole relationships because hurting people hurt people and whole people always help people. Next thing that we talked to you about, number five, is you're cherished right where you are, but now from that place you're challenged to go to higher heights. We talked to you about number six, Jesus forgave her sin, but Jesus didn't excuse her sin. Can you see the balance of grace and truth? The next thing, the last thing we talked about, Jesus said, go and sin no more. Jesus did not say go and sin some more. He didn't say, oh, girls just want to have fun. Is anybody out there? So I do want you to understand, and I'm sorry for that Cindy Lauper imitation, but I do want you to understand there's a balance of both grace and truth that we must adhere to. Is anybody ready for new territory? All right. You're clapping, you're ready, but this is going to make you think, and it's going to challenge the culture in a big way. This is what we do, but you've got to have that balance of grace and truth, number eight, new territory. Jesus is not saying only the sinless can judge or there would be no justice. 
How many know that Jesus was the only sinless one there? But I want you to understand, we can look at that and go, well, Jesus is the only one. Listen, that, you, you know that's not true. If Jesus or only the sinless can judge, there would be no justice on this earth, none. Let me, let me put it in a way that you'll understand. Let, let, let's say you're going 95 on Highway 40, and you get pulled over by one of our many policemen that are here in the house. And, and you, you roll down your window, and you, you look to the officer, and you say, I know I was going 95, but only the sinless can judge. <laughs> How many know you're still going to experience justice regardless? Somebody has to judge. There is still a right and a wrong, and 95 is still wrong unless you're on Highway 95 and not I-40. Does that make sense? You've got to understand, we, there still is a right, there still is a wrong, there still are things that need to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to judge this. Jesus is very clear about it. Matthew 7:20. he said, you know people by their fruits. In other words, you have to judge the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Not from a condemning way or superior way, but you have to make decisions based on that wisdom. How many of you ever shopped at Kroger's or Publix or a grocery store or anything prior to COVID-19? And, and, and you remember when you got to the fruit area, maybe you can't do it now, but you got to the fruit area and you got to the melon and you're picking out melons, you didn't just go, all right, here's a melon, put it in the cart. I mean, if you're like my wife, you, you get it out, you squeeze it, she smells it, she, she's judging it. And at no time did the manager from Publix ever come over here and go, judge not, you shall not be judged. They expect you to judge the fruit. If it looks rotten, you don't buy it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. So he's not just simply saying that only the sinless can judge. Matter of fact, does anybody remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 8, where the Bible says that there was a guy, listen, listen to this, the Bible says there's commonly reported that fornication is among you. He says there's somebody, and this is what was literally happening, there, there was a man who was sleeping with, having sex with his stepmother in the church of Corinth, in the church. Man, you ought to read your Bible. It, it'll, it'll cure you from ever having to go to an R-rated movie ever again because it's got all kinds of juicy stuff in it. And Paul wrote the Corinthians and said, why are you guys all puffed up about this? You ought to be in mourning about this. You need to judge this person and get that out of your church. Because it's killing the reputation of the church. You're, you're allowing sloppy agape. So listen to me very, very closely. They were, you like that? You like, you, all of a sudden you caught, you caught that? You're like, oh, man, I can almost say anything. Sometimes it's amazing what you people like and don't like. Sometimes I'll say this really, really, really funny thing, and you'll look at me like this. And then sometimes I make a little passing comment like sloppy agape, and you're like, oh, that's really funny. Let's get on the same page, people, all right? <laughs> look at the life point. This will help you. The Corinthians were not in trouble because they were judging. The Corinthians were in trouble because they weren't. Now listen, don't get me wrong, I don't want you to misunderstand. It's very clear that we're not allowed to judge hearts, aren't you glad? If you look at Matthew chapter 13, 27 through 30, you find a very cool parable in there where at the end of the age, uh, there, there's wheat and there's tares that grow up together. Wheat and tares look fairly similar. 
And in the parable, mankind said, do you want us to separate the wheat and tares? And in the parable, God said, no, don't do that. Let the angels do it, because if you do it, you'll tear up some of the wheat when you're trying to pull out the tares. And in everyday language, what that parable means is God does not trust you and I to judge hearts because he knows that when we try to judge hearts, we'll pull up good-hearted people because we don't judge hearts very well. That's left to God and God alone. But please understand there is a balance, ladies and gentlemen. He's not saying that only the sinless can judge. There still is a right and there still is a wrong. Which leads me to the next one. Look at number nine. We are to judge, just not from a place of hypocrisy or superiority, but graciously. Ever say graciously? With moral clarity. Now, I know what you're thinking. Matthew 7, 1, judge not, you shall not be judged. It's so funny. That, is, that scripture, it seems like everybody knows that scripture. And it seems like the, the people that use that scripture the most are politicians when they want to get away with something. Yeah. Judge not, you shall not be judged. But please, ladies and gentlemen, my challenge to you today is to read your Bible in context. Because you're going to see something that you've never seen before if you read it in context. How many know Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 is in context of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? And my challenge to you is read that today. I don't have time. I'm just going to tell you what it says. But it does say, Matthew 7, 1, judge not and you shall not be judged. Verse 2, it says, with what judgment you meet, it'll be measured back to you again. In other words, whatever you don't allow in judgment, guess what? It's coming back at you. So be very wise about how you dole out judgment because however you dole it out, it's going to be pointing right back at you. Does that make sense? And then he goes on to say, though, and this is powerful, this is where you may not understand it. He says, why, when you have a log in your eye, are you trying to get a speck out of your brother's eye? He says, you're a hypocrite when you do that. I didn't say that. Don't quit looking at me that way. That's Jesus' words. You understand that. If I got a log in my eye, if I'm dealing with this big major issue and I'm trying to get a speck out of Anthony's eye, that makes me a hypocrite. I'm telling him not to do something that I do mega more than he does. That's hypocrisy. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But now here's what he says, though. Watch this now. He said, get rid of the log in your own eye so that, watch this phrase, so that you can see clearly to help your brother remove the speck from his. He is not saying that we don't judge or we don't try to help our brother or sister remove the speck from their eye or their sin from their eye. He's saying, let's just make sure we don't do it from a place of hypocrisy or moral superiority, where I'm looking down on you, you poor little pitiful thing. Here I am, Captain Charismatic, here to help to save you and get that little speck out of your eye. I'm sorry to be pointing at you like that. I don't do it from a place of superiority, but I do it from a place of graciousness and love and genuineness. And I want to help my brother. I want to help my sister. And I want to do it with moral clarity. You have to come to the point where you can see clearly now the rain has stopped. And if you do it from a place of cloudiness, it's not going to be a bright, 
Bright sunshine and day. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. Is anybody out there? I was just having my own little moment. Sloppy agape. Once you find something that works, you go back to it. Tenth thing that we need to understand, we are not to judge the thief, but we are to judge the theft. Now, can you see this? And if you don't understand this, you're going to get in a dish. Well, it's grace and truth. We are not to judge the liar, but we are to judge the lie. There still is a right, and there still is a wrong. And this country, I don't think, understands that. There's still a right, and there's still a wrong. We are not to judge the liar's heart, but we're to judge the lie and try to help that liar. I know I was one. You couldn't believe me when I was an alcoholic and my tongue came notarized. It's true. And I'm very open and transparent about all that I've been delivered from. And you know what that lying was doing? That's why, why God is so against lying. It's not because he's a, you know, Charlton Heston, thou shalt not lie, 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 lie. That's not what he's about. How many understands that lying breaks down every relationship that you have. Yeah. Has anybody been married to or has an ex or a friend that was just a serial liar? Come on, how many are sitting next to a liar right now? Man, you know, you know. How many, you're a liar and you're raising your hand lying about knowing somebody like that? <laughs> well, you know, if, you, if you've known a serial liar that was, that was an addict, because I, I, again, I was one. So when you're an addict, you lie about everything, and you cover everything, and nobody can believe you, and it tears down every relationship that you have, every one of them. And that's why God is against lying, not because thou shalt not lie. He's against lying because he is for you having healthy relationships. you got to... You got to stop looking at it in a legalistic way and start looking at it from the eyes of God so that you can understand He's the Creator, and when you function His way, your life will become so much more whole. That's powerful. It doesn't help to lie. I can tell you that right now. And if you don't believe that, believe this. Check it out. Talking dog for sale, $20. I got $20. Where's the dog? He's in there watching TV. What's he watching? Golden Girls, it's his favorite. Sign says you can talk. Pipe down, Junior. Golden Girls is on. This dog can really talk. That's incredible. Well, let me ask you. As, as a talking dog, what have you done with your life? I've led a very full life. I've lived in the Alps, rescuing avalanche victims. Then I served my country in Iraq. And now I, I spend my days reading to the residents of a retirement home. That is some tale. Listen, I need to go talk to your owner, okay? I'll be right back. Why on earth would you sell an incredible dog like that for $20? He talks. It's because he's a liar. He never did any of those things. Look. Oh, come on, that's clever. That's irony. 
doesn't matter that he's lying. There's a dog that can talk. That's the point. $20. And that was real, by the way. And so are unicorns. <laughs> Look at number 11. There's a difference between judging the sin and condemning the sinner. Jesus did that with a woman in adultery. Woman, I don't condemn you. Where are your accusers? But then he judged the sin. Go and sin no more. You see grace and truth. You see mercy and truth. And we've got to balance this out because in this culture, we're getting in a ditch on one side or the other. I was going to get a little tougher as we go here, so bear with me now. Look at number 12. Check it out. Jesus did not say, I won't condemn you if you go and sin no more. Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now, that's good news. The tougher comes in a moment. That's good news. What do you mean by that? How many know that word, if, implies condition? And you've heard me talk about before, God loves you unconditionally. You know what that means? That means there are no conditions to his love. That means that no matter how hard you try, and I don't suggest you do, nothing, Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not because of my worth or your worth or what we have or haven't done, but who he is. He doesn't have love. God is love. He loves us not because of what we've done, but in spite of what we've done. Aren't you glad? There are no conditions to his love. So he doesn't say, now, now, I didn't say I won't condemn you if you go and sin no more. There were no conditions to that. Jesus said, I don't condemn you now. Out of that place of love and acceptance, go and sin no more because that sin's destroying your life. You understand that. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. Sin initially thrills, but eventually kills it initially fascinates, but it eventually assassinates. That's why God's against it, because he's for you. Look at number 13, and I love this. Here's where it gets a little bit tougher. If you call something wrong that God calls wrong, and the culture no longer calls it wrong, then all of a sudden they label you as intolerant or a bigot. And let me talk to you here very clearly. If God calls something wrong and the culture calls it right, we still have to agree with God because there's not a truth. He is the truth. And let me redefine you. You are not intolerant and you are not a bigot for agreeing with God. And you need to know that. Don't you let the world label you and, 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 and fear you into telling you that you're something that you're not. Matter of fact, I throw it on the other side. It's amazing how the intolerant, or the tolerant, we've got to be tolerant, we've got to be tolerant, is tolerant about everything and everybody but Christians. So listen to me. You, it's very, the culture is very deceiving because what the culture does is it rebrands things in order for you to mentally accept them. That's what they've done forever. It's just, it's just that frog in the kettle, and it's, it's just tepid water, and it slowly turns up at the heat until that frog just boils to death in it. If it's cold water, the frog will jump out. If it's hot water, the frog will jump out. But if it's tepid water and slowly turns up the heat through rebranding, we just sit there in the kettle till we boil to death. 
And that's exactly what the culture does. They rebrand. What do you mean they rebrand? Well, think about it for just a moment. How about the phrase adult entertainment? My day, and I know I'm going to sound like a get-off-my-lawn guy. I get it. In my day, that was porn. But now it's adult entertainment. Thank you for your enthusiasm. That's a blessing. How, how, how about this one? How about, how about this one? Uh, adult language. My day was just called cussing. Now it's adult language. How, how about this one? Adult beverage. My day was called booze. And I woke up in my own vomit as a result of it. But can you see if you're a kid? See what the culture's doing to our kids? If you're a kid, oh man, I can't wait. You know, how many, how many, every, wherever you are in life, we always want to get to the next stage. You know, if you're, if, you're, if you're in grade school, you can't wait to get to junior high. And if you're junior high, you can't wait to get to senior high. And if you're senior high, you can't wait to get to college. And if you're college, you can't wait to get out. And if you get out, you can't wait to get married. And if you, if you get married, you can't wait to have kids. And if you have kids, you can't wait to uh, uh, have a career. If you have a career, you can't wait to retire. If you retire, you can't wait to just go on to be with Jesus. <laughs> right? right? So what happens is, if you're a kid and you want to be an adult, notice how the culture's tempting our kids. Guess what you get to get when you become an adult? Adult entertainment, adult beverages, adult language. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Making you think, isn't it? It ought to, because this culture rebrands. It totally re How about this one? If you don't like that, how about this one? Where are you going? I'm going to the gentleman's club. Uh, sorry, folks, but I, I grew up in the world. That's called a strip club. There's not a gentleman in the place. Am I talking too real to you Christians? Are you, are you scared of real? Is that the problem? Or, or did you just visit one last night? Was that? Oh, what's, what's up? I got that extra hour of sleep, you know, as I'm taking it out on you. I'm a little feisty today. A little spunky. I'll be a lot more grouchy when we, when we uh, you know, move ahead an hour in the spring. How about this one? You're not going to like this one either. How about this rebrand? This, this is a great one. Planned Parenthood. Do you see, you see the rebranding there? I'm going to call it Planned Parenthood. And I'm going to make sure that the baby, watch this rebrand, is a fetus. Because I can, if I can dehumanize something, I don't have any problem killing it. Ask a Nazi. That too straight for you? I got more where that came from. But look at listen to those rebrands. See what the devil does? Those are all rebrands to get us to fall for that. And you got to know. And then all of a sudden, if you don't agree with that, yeah. and listen, right now we're, we're thousands of people on the internet. We, we had the other day, we had, I told them yesterday, 100 something was wrong in that. We had 400 and something people all watching from India at the same time. We had over 100 people watching, not potentially watching from Canada the other day. We have all kinds of, we have all kinds of people watching. And I'm taking a lot of risks, so you people need to pray for your pastor. 
And I'm telling you, 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 all, you all saying amen, but listen, when I get put in jail, bring me a cake <laughs> with a file in it. Because I'm going to get out of there eventually. File that thing down until... It's like Paul. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding, but I, I mean, the way this culture is going, I'm kind of not kidding. So come on, you're not intolerant. You're not a bigot when you agree with God. No, you're not. Now, all these go hand in hand. This will help you. Look at number 14. However, if you refuse to condemn what God condemns, you are no longer truly graceful or loving. Now, you say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Let me, let me extrapolate, because this, this will help you. For those of you from Watertown, extrapolate means I'm going to say more about something. <laughs> we actually have a lot of people that come from Watertown, and they put up with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Look at number 15, check it out. I'd rather be called cruel for being kind than called kind for being cruel. Now, l l let me explain, because I don't think we understand this one completely. Th this is huge. If, if, I, if, I, if I just say, well... You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go feed all of the of the children in Africa. I'm gonna. You know, we we feed. We have a mobile kitchen here. We fed. We feed the poor all around the area. We fed over 42,000 free meals to the folks here in the area. Come on, give God a big thanks. Never charge. Always bless people. So if, if we take our mobile kitchen and feed millions and millions of children in, in Africa. Everybody in the world would celebrate me. Oh, Pastor Jim, such a nice guy. But as soon as I do that in the name of the Lord and say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, he's the truth, he is the life, he is the only way to get to heaven. As soon as I do that, now all of a sudden, not everybody loves me anymore. If I'm Oprah and, oh, we're all just children of God, and look under your seats right now, there's something for you and for you and for you. <laughs> Everybody loves me. But listen to this nugget again. I'd rather be called cruel for being kind than kind for being cruel because it is the kindest thing that I can do to tell people that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And Jesus is the way. If I lie to him and say he's one of many ways, everybody will love me, but I am lying to them. I will be liked by everybody, but I am being the most cruel person that I can be because I am not telling them the truth. Think about it. You got kids. If your kids are running out in front of a bus and you don't tell them because well, I just want my kid to like me and I want to, him to think I'm a good parent and I'm just loving and tolerant and awesome. Go ahead, son. Play on I-40. There's a, oh, well, there's a big bus. So what? Have fun, son. That's the cruelest thing that I can do to him ever. Christians, look at me. Online, look at me. This world and this country is coming down to a point where you're going to have to make that choice. 
and the persecution on believers is going to be ratcheted up. And I know that's not fun news to Americans, but it is fun news to me. It's not that persecution is pleasant, but it will cause us to ratchet up and strengthen our walk with God. And then we stop playing church on Sunday and, and doing the, you know, the, the middle Tennessee thing, you know, where there's more Christians than there are people. You understand that. Everybody goes to church in middle Tennessee. But when the, when the heat starts getting turned up, then you decide, am I really a Christian? Do I really love Jesus? Am I really a believer? I know that's not pop psychology. I know that does not real feel-good stuff, but I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just simply trying to prepare you. You're going to have to come to the point in your convictions where you're strong and you decide, I am going to stand for the Lord. And I'm going to do it in a loving way, in a gracious way. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to make sure that we do that. You know that. You know this church. We're not just going to tell people how bad they are. We want to show them how good God is. We want to connect before we correct. There's no question about it. But we have to make a stand. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. He is not a truth. And it's the cruelest thing that I can do and tell them something different. And we finish with number 16. With number 16... And we're doing it, people. We're making it happen. Jesus gives us a voice of grace and truth. If we don't use our vo voice for both, and I mean both, if we don't have that balance, we lose our voice for either. If we come over here and we just beat people over the head with the Bible, that is so wrong. And I watch people doing that in the name of the Lord, and it is so ungodly. I, I remember, I'll never forget, when I, was a, when I was in college at the University of Tennessee, and I had just become a believer, and I was so fired up about the Lord, there would always come a guy in an old, broken-down van every single year. You may have seen him. He went to all different universities at the time. Broken-down van, and he would literally stand on the corner in the middle of the University of Tennessee holding up signs telling all of the people they're turn or burn get right or get left and he would call the women that walked by whores and he would call the men all kinds of names and say you're going to hell turn or burn get right or get left and I'm gonna tell you right now that should never become who we are you're not doing us believers any favor by being a weirdo could I have an amen and he was just a self-fulfilling prophecy. He was the worst person you could ever imagine exhibited no fruit of the Lord. But yeah, and, then, and then we get persecuted as a result of it and take that as, well, I'm just being persecuted for righteousness' sake. No, you're not being persecuted for righteousness' sake. You're being persecuted because you're a weird jerk. So we're not turning into that. Could I have an amen? But we can't swing over here. We're just, oh, this is where all oh, these children of God. No, listen to me. You are not a child of God. We are all God's creation. You become a child of God when you receive the Father through His one Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then and only then do you become or do I become a child of God according not to me but the Bible. 1 John chapter 3, 2 and 3. Amen. Jesus, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace precedes truth, but grace can never be separated from truth.
We must always connect before we correct. The voice of correction must be earned through the voice of love. But here's the key. We can't swing in our pendulum all the way over here to the truth and become religious all the way over here with mercy and become relativistic. We've got to bind mercy and truth around our neck so that we have favor both with God and with man. Would you bow your head with me, please? Would you close your eyes for just a moment? Let me talk to your heart here in the house, watching online, all different countries. I shared earlier that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. Well, how, how do I do that, Pastor? Listen to me very closely. If you're listening to me here in the house and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you died tonight and you just don't know where you'd spend eternity, heaven or hell, you're just honestly, you don't, you don't, you don't know. Maybe your heart's far away from God and you do know that. Just not sure where you'd go if you died tonight. Listen to me, you can be sure, you can know. It's really pretty simple. Bible says, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is not of works, lest any man should boast. It all comes from God. God, in his grace, sent his one son, Jesus, to die for my sins and for yours. Jesus came to this world. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cruel cross with my sins, with your sins, with my shortcomings, with your shortcomings went down into the heart of the earth, Matthew 12, 40, for three days and three nights. And there the Holy Spirit came down and raised him from the dead because hell could not hold him because he was not there with his own sins. He was there with mine. My alcoholism, my addictions, my temper, my selfishness, my lust, and yours too. He was raised from the dead. Now he's at the right hand of the Father God, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, with his arms of love wide open, waiting to introduce you to the Heavenly Father. And it's pretty simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you'll simply believe that Jesus came, that he died, that he was raised from the dead, and make him Lord of your life, that just means yield your heart to his. Decide, all right, Jesus, come into my heart. I don't want to find religion. I want to begin a relationship with you. He'll do that. He'll grant you a miracle in your heart and eternal life with Him forever. If you're in the house and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you died tonight and you don't know where you'd spend eternity, heaven or hell, you don't know, you're not sure. If that's you, I'm not going to call you up here. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'd, right at your chair, right where you are, if God's tugging at your heart and you fall into any one of those categories and you want prayer and you want that prayer today, if that's you, simply signify yes by raising your hand right now. I'm not going to call you up here, but if that's you, just say, Pastor, I want in on this prayer. 
Just lift your hand where I can see it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead everybody in a prayer online. Thousands watching. I want you to listen from your heart. If God's tugging at your heart and falling in any one of those categories and you want prayer, I'm going to lead you in it now, but here's the key. Pray from your heart. Let's all pray. Let's pray out loud. Let's pray from our hearts. Let's pray now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you right now. Sin, I turn my back on you. Jesus Christ, I turn to you now. And I believe that you died just for me. And I believe that you were raised from the dead just for me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Forgive me. Today, I begin a new relationship with you, and I do it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This is my youth pastor. You met him earlier. He's going to be right outside these middle foyer doors immediately after the service. If you raise your hand, or maybe you were a little bit embarrassed and you know you should have, he's going to be right outside these foyer doors immediately after the service. Will you go to him? And will you just say, man, I prayed that prayer in a minute. He's going to pray with you for a couple minutes, and then he's going to give you a gift that will help you take your next steps in your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's really valuable. Don't be afraid to do that. He's one of the nicest guys you're ever going to meet, and he won't bite you. Unlike the senior pastor. Online, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, there's instructions on your screen right now what to do. We want to send you that same gift that we're giving here in the house. We don't want to intrude into your life. We want to help you walk that decision out long and strong with the Lord and help you take your next steps in your decision with Jesus Christ. Honored and thrilled to have so many watching online and so many in-house with us as well. I'm going to introduce you, our, our community outreach pastor. He's going to close out the service real quick. I'm a minute early. I promise you I'll use that minute against you later. As Pastor James comes, would you say it with me? Say it like you mean it. God loves me as if I am the only person in this world to love. Come on, what a great...